Amen. Thank you, choir. And I don't know if you noticed, but Larry Coos was playing the piano. Well, good morning. I trust you all are well and uh, excited that you guys are here in the Lord. Um, excited about today for a couple reasons. I've got an update and a praise report on Pastor Brad and I have a, a, another smell of, uh, celebration and a, and a low-key miracle, you could call it. Um, first, let's do the update with Pastor Brad. Um, as far as his recovery is concerned, as was said last week, we talked about how uh, the cancer was completely contained to the kidney. And so uh, with the removal of the kidney, they are not of the belief that there is any needed treatment uh, at, at this time for Pastor Brad. So that's a major praise. Amen. <laughs> So originally, the timeline is about four to six weeks, and so he is tracking well on that uh, timeline. Um, as you might have heard, there was some AFib issues in his recovery that extended his stay at the hospital for a couple days, um, but he is getting a follow-up appointment on Wednesday. So if you'd like to pray for his appointment on Wednesday, um, please, please do so. Uh, but we trust that the Lord will continue to heal and continue to restore his body. And so we're excited about that. Um, the other celebration and a version of a miracle, it, today is my 18th wedding anniversary. I know you're applauding Wendy and all of that, so, um, and rightfully so. Uh, I remember when I was playing in Buffalo, I had a teammate, a guy named Jeremy Guthrie and his wife. I lived in the basement. Up north, there's basements. We miss out on so much down here. There's no basements. I feel deprived of my childhood. Um, but I, I stayed in the basement, and his family stayed on the, on the floor level. And I remember they were married for nine years when I got to know them. I'm like, man, that's a long time to be married. <laughs> and we weren't, we weren't dating. I think we might have been dating at the time, but we weren't married yet. And so uh, 18 years. And um, love you very much, so. Anyways, wasn't planning on that. That wasn't in the notes. But um, so that's a celebration too. Marriage is such a big deal in God's eyes, guys. It is a big, big deal. It reflects his nature. It reflects his character. It reflects his intentions. He is the God that redeems, he restores. Read the book of Hosea. If you're, if you're at all confused on what God desires in marriage, see God's persistence and faithfulness to Israel. And so for us, it's so easy to get caught up in the culture as far as, you know, what's, what, you know, th there's a level of a heart condition that comes in contrast to God when we do not apply what God has done for us to the other person. I'll say that again. This is the Christian walk. We have to apply what God has done for us to the other person, to what we're going through, to everything in life. And that is our hope that as God redeems me, he can redeem my relationships as well. So, again, not in the notes. We're in the book of Revelation. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it. In the first service, I uh, had a little bit of a little mess up. I didn't get the slides to Becky in time. We're good to go, Becky? We're good to go. So we, we have slides for you today. But in the first service, I had, everyone had to open their Bible. It was strange. You couldn't just cheat and look at the slides. And so they had to actually pick up a Bible and open it. I heard pages turning. It was this new sound that I heard. So uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but uh, if you have your Bibles, open it. If you'd like to follow along on the slides, you can do that as well. We're on our fourth city 
I, uh, first week I preached on Ephesus. Our second week, Pastor Juan preached on Smyrna. Not New Smyrna, but Smyrna. And the third week, last week, Pastor Cody preached on Pergamum. And today we are in Thyatira. Uh, we do have a map. Uh, I don't know if we've used a map yet at this time to show kind of the different places. So number four is Thyatira, uh, present-day Turkey. The bottom right corner is present-day. Um, the island of Patmos is where John was when he wrote uh, what Jesus revealed to him. And so, again, this is just kind of a visual as far as where Thyatira is. Uh, we will speak into its relationship with Pergamum or Pergamos as is written in this map. Uh, here shortly. So that's kind of just a visual. We'll be reading again uh, chapter 2 of Revelation. I'll be in the New English translation if you have a device and like to sync it. But uh, verses 18 through 29. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write the following. This is a solemn pronouncement of the Son of God the one who has eyes like a fiery flame and whose feet are like polished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and steadfast endurance. In fact, your more recent deeds are greater than your earlier ones. But I have this against, against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and by her teaching deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent, but she is not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I am throwing her onto a bed of violent illness and those who commit adultery with her into terrible suffering unless they repent of her deeds. Furthermore, I will strike her followers with a deadly disease and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts, minds and hearts. And I will repay each of you what your deeds deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, all of you who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned the so-called deep secrets of Satan, to you I say, I do not put any additional burden on you. However, hold on to what you have until I come. And to the one who conquers and who continues in my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and like clay jars, he will break them into pieces, just as I have received the right to rule from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you, Jesus, that you revealed your truth to John for this church. Jesus, we, we are good at applying your truth, Lord, to other people, to other things, Lord. Help us to have a heart and a mindset of honesty and humility, that what you have for us today is for us, for me, Lord. And would you, Holy Spirit, lead us into your truth for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So as I preached again in, uh, on the letter to Ephesus, in Revelation, in the seven letters, there's a theme or, or a, a organization as far as how they're presented. We have an introduction. We have an, I, an introduction that reveals something about Jesus. We have an I know statement that is produced. We have a rebuke 
as far as what they're doing wrong for five of the seven churches. There's a call to repentance. And then all of the letters finish with a promise for those who overcome. And he gives the commission, if you have ears, hear what is being said. And so with that in mind, as I spoke before, during our weekly Bible talk, I am spending more time in the introduction and in the closing of each letter. So if you listened to it this last week, you would have heard about um, the closing for the church of Thyatira and how Jesus is quoting Psalm 2 and applying it to the people who overcome. So if you'd like to hear more about that, you can go on Facebook, you can go on YouTube, it's in your bulletin. Today we're going to again focus on the I know section, on the rebuke section, and on the call to repentance. Y'all tracking with me? So that's our goal today. As always when I teach, I have a learning objective. And our learning objective, again, this is if we were to walk out of the service, this is what our hope of what is being accomplished today. It's to know what in our lives puts us into agreement with the enemy. I'm going to say this one more time. Our goal when we walk out is to know what in our lives puts us into agreement with the enemy. And so, again, we're going to focus on the I know, the rebuke, and the repent. Let's start with the I know. I know I'm skipping a verse, friends, in the back, but we're going to look at verse 19. Let's see what Jesus says as far as the I know statement. In verse 19, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and steadfast endurance. In fact, your more recent deeds are greater than your earlier ones. And I was reading it. I, again, I preached last time on Ephesus. When we preached on Ephesus, remember that Paul had spoken to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, and this was about 40 years prior to Jesus giving this revelation to John, but he had told the church in Ephesus and the elders, stick to the truth, persevere, keep going forth. And the church was faithful to it, but what were they condemned for? They had lost their first love. With the church of Thyatira, we see the opposite. With the church of Thyatira, we see that they had kept their first love, that they had endurance, faith, um, but they were being deceived of truth. Even their works, if you remember in Ephesus, they didn't have the works that they once had. In Thyatira, their works were actually increasing. Their works were actually getting better. So there's this contrast between the two cities with the main caveat being that Ephesus stayed in the truth, Thyatira believed deception of the truth. So we need to do a little bit more digging as far as this church in Thyatira. As you looked at the map, the city is located in a place that's landlocked. It's not accessible by water. Because of its location, it's in a valley. It's not a, a strategic military place. It doesn't have high ground to be an outpost for the military. Um, it really was known as kind of a gateway to Pergamum. And it didn't offer its own like signature temple. In Ephesus, we had Artemis, who was the main big deal in the temple and, and the goddess of the city. In Corinth, we have Aphrodite, who's the main big deal. And there's all this worship to Aphrodite. We'll talk about that here in a couple minutes. Thyatira was not known for its military presence or its temple. It was known for its commerce. It was known for its goods. It was a trade route. It was an intersection of trade routes. And so there was a lot of commerce coming and going. Lydia, who is a believer in the early church in Acts 4, uh, 16, 
is described as coming from Thyatira. That's where she lived. And she was a merchant of expensive purple cloth. In that society at the time, they had guilds, not fish with things on the side. That's guilds. Guilds. That was supposed to be funny. All right. They had guilds and guilds. You're like, yeah, keep trying. <laughs> guilds, they're an association. This is what I got from Google. Is an association of artisans or merchants who oversee the practice of their craft or trade in a particular territory. It was a group of people that kind of ran the commerce, the trade, what was going on. And the economics of the city was tied to the power of these leaders. Present day, uh, we could use maybe the analogy of unions. In Florida, we're a non-strike state, or a, is that, yeah, non-strike state. And up north, you probably know and recognize that the unions up north are much, much more powerful. Um, when I played baseball, I was a part of the Major League uh, Baseball Players Association. There was the owners, and then there was the players. I was a part of the union. Um, kind of a funny illustration, if you're still not getting it, if you've seen the movie Newsies, um, it was a musical that, as homeschoolers, you grow up on musicals. It's just a part of what we do. And so I watched the movie Newsies growing up. You had William Randolph Hearst, who was the, the powerful mogul, the newspaper mogul, who was trying to drive up the prices on the Newsies who were selling the papers. And there was this, this clash, and the Newsies won out, and I can still sing the songs if you would like me to. And so, uh, not right now, though. So, with that being said, the guilds in Thyatira, how they would go about their business, though, is they would have what we would kind of think of as like a, a convention. They would have these gatherings based off of what the trade or, or what they were selling, and they would have these massive parties or events or celebrations. And at these celebrations, they would sacrifice meat to idols. They would sacrifice meat to idols. And so to partake in these, these events meant that there was a strong likelihood that you would have to, you're put in a, a position of partaking in meat offered to idols. And that was the problem, because if you didn't partake, you were going the possibility of being ostracized socially and economically was great. And so the Christians in Thyatira, they were in a position that socially there was a risk of being ostracized and cut off from the community because they weren't partaking in something that ultimately didn't glorify God. In 1994, again, I don't mean to use too many baseball Analogies. I try not to do that too much. And you're like, yeah, the last two times you preached, you did though. So there was a strike. There was a strike in 1994. I got to the big leagues in 2005 and I was playing for the Cleveland Indians. And I distinctly remember I had a teammate, I won't say his name, I had a teammate that played and, and he was one of the players that struck. Is that the past term for striking? He structed. Um, <laughs> but there was other people that were still playing that had, quote-unquote, crossed the line and become play replacement players. You guys tracking with me? The players that had struck, striked? I'll be honest. The level of animosity between the players who, had, who went on strike and had stayed faithful to the, the union and the malice towards the players that had come and crossed the line it was big. And there was a massive disdain. 
And so in the context of what we're seeing here, just as the players that I was involved with were ostracized for crossing the line, so those in the church of Thyatira were at risk of being ostracized and not part, because of not partaking in these guild celebrations because of the meat offered to idols. So that's how we get, that's the I know, that's the context of the church of Thyatira. Let's get into Jesus' rebuke, and that'll be in verse 20. He says this, but... I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and by her teaching deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so we see Jesus speaking into this deception that's taking place and it's coming from a woman named Jezebel. Now we don't know for sure if that was the actual name of the woman we know from the Old Testament that Jezebel was not a term of endearment that was like something to feel good about. Jezebel in the Old Testament was married to Ahab, who was a king of the northern kingdom. She was a Sidonian daughter of the king of Sidonia, and she led the people into sin, into idolatry. I want to be very clear on this because we can't miss this point. Jezebel didn't stop the worship of Yahweh. She included the worship of other gods. And we need, to, we need to understand that because that's how this is going to kind of turn on us here in a couple minutes. If she didn't lead them to stop worshiping God, she led them into stop or into the inclusion of other gods. In our own context, we don't call people Jezebels. We know that it's not a positive term. Um, she's a prophetess. That prophesying is not a bad thing or a negative thing. Scripture is clear in the New Testament. We see it in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit will be given. Uh, Peter quoting the book of the prophet Joel, that the Spirit will be poured out on your sons and daughters. They will see visions. They will prophesy. In Acts, we see later on that the four daughters, the virgin daughters of Philip, they're all prophetesses. So it's not bad that this woman is prophesying. What's bad is the fact that the church is buying in and not testing the Spirit behind the prophecy. We need to be clear that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we need to test the spirit as scripture says. The local church not testing the spirit in this context, and they were being led or seduced. The church was being deceived by false teaching, and they conformed because of the pressure of the social constructs around them. So here's a question, and this is like a in teaching, when I was a teacher, there's the right there questions, like the easy ones, and then you have like scaffolded questions, so you got the hard ones. And so this, was a, this one's a layup, guys. This one's the easy one. Why is it wrong for them to engage in sexual immorality or food to idols? I know that sounds like an easy question, but we're going to dig deeper on this one because it's not just the action, it's the heart condition behind the action. And so let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, again, go to Acts 15. As I talked about before, Paul telling the elders in Ephesus a couple weeks ago in Acts 20, he gives them this decree, this command. But there's already been a command and a decree that sexual immorality and food offered to idols is not appropriate. It's in Acts 15, verses 28 through 29. And the context is, is Gentiles are now being included into the church. The gospel's going out. It's going out into um, places outside of Jerusalem, Judea. It's getting to the Samarias. It's getting to the ends of the earth. And these Gentiles are coming in, and the Jews are saying, well, what are they supposed to be doing? What laws are they supposed to be following? And so there's this council. 
The church leaders in Jerusalem come together and they come up with what seems right. And in verse 28, this is what they say. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from food offered to idols, from consuming blood and eating the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. And then like on the end of a text, he says farewell. He's just like, all right, take care. I just thought that was kind of humorous when I read it. All right, farewell, take care. So again, the commission not to eat food offered to idols, consuming blood, and again, that has to do with pagan revelry, um, meat strangle, or eating meat that has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And so Paul goes on to describe this more to the church in Corinth. And while we're talking about the church of Thyatira, we're looking at the heart condition of why these are not of the Lord. Why is this not of God? So again, go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul will be teaching and speaking into the sexual immorality that's going on. In Corinth, again, they had a temple and a goddess to Aphrodite. And so as you can probably do the math, we get the word uh, uh, aphrodisiac from it. And so there's this, there's this um, common thinking that the urges the sexual urges that are, are natural, while we'll speak into how God wants us to deal with those, in the culture for Corinth, it was acceptable to go to the temple and to release your urges by having union with a prostitute. There was female prostitutes, male prostitutes, heterosexual prostitutes, homosexual prostitutes. And so it was common in the practice as for the church in Corinth to go and there was no shame in doing it. It was natural. If, if this urge is there, it's important to remove the urge or the, or the pressure from yourself, as one would say. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, we see Paul's response. He says this in verses 12 through 20. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food, and that is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you cannot say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about your bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize your bodies are actually a part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. We read this, 
and we differentiate, like, I, I don't really feel like I'm pursuing this type of engagement. But understand the word sexual immorality is a word that comes from the Greek and the word's porneia. And I don't have to spend long probably making the correlation. Understand, again, the desire and the motive behind the engagement is the issue. We had people in the church of Corinth who are making themselves one with others. There is an investment, a transaction that takes place in sexual union. You become one with that person. And Paul is clearly saying, run from this sexual sin. You're unified with Christ. How can Christ's body be connected to this? And yet we live in a culture and we live in a world that saturates us with sexual provo provocation. I was doing good until that point. We live in a world, I know it's a light moment, but guys, friends, understand, we live in a world where the saturation is everywhere. We say yes, but do we turn from it? I'm reading this, I'm like, I, you know, how do I make this like for like? One of the jobs of preaching is to take text but apply it to the local context, the current day. And while we might not be going somewhere to meet a prostitute per se, if Netflix came out with a show about the church in Corinth and what was going on, we might binge watch on that though. Guys, it's all around us. And it's not from the Lord. It has roots in the enemy. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we talked about sexual immorality, let's look at food offered to idols. What am I trying to say? Verse 19, he says this. What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. But I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. They were a people who were fighting for their freedoms. Notice, notice the similarities between the two. Both of them have the same logic, but I'm free in Christ. Let's run with this thing. I know God's grace and his mercy and his redemption on the cross is enough to pay for this. Why is my freedom being restricted? Because it's not good for you. It's not beneficial. It's not of the spirit. Friends, we have the spirit of God living in us, but when we give agreeance to the flesh, we are giving agreeance to the enemy. And that should bother us. Sin has a cost. And it's not just the actual action. There's a level of agreement where you are aligning with the enemy. As he says in verse 20, am I saying that these sacrifices are 
I'm sorry. No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. So how does that look in our local current context? We don't go to Publix or Whole Foods or, I, I want to sound bougie. We don't go to Walmart or anywhere else. You know, we don't go to any of these and we're like, oh, I wonder if that ground meat was offered to idols. That's not even a thought that crosses our minds. But we do engage in many things that the enemy has been cultivating and using to deceive, and we have bought into so many of those things. Whether it's music, whether it's movies, there is a level of darkness and evil that our world is fascinated by. For whatever reason, YouTube is filled with all sorts of conspiracy and darkness and just evil, and people keep clicking and clicking and clicking, and it's not of the Spirit. It is of the enemy. And when we put ourselves in a position to experience, we're also giving ourselves a level of agreeance to what the enemy is trying to do. Even as a believer, I do not want you to have any participation with demons. And again, this might seem easy. Why is it wrong for us to engage in sexual immorality or for food offered to idols? Because it's sin and it disconnects us from God. And it creates in us, it creates in us a level of authority that the enemy has over us. There's a differentiation that needs to be at least highlighted. There's knowing sin, like you knowingly go into a sin. You know it's not of God, but there's also areas of agreeance with the enemy that we're not aware of. There's things that we allow into our lives. There's things that even we allow into our homes. There's things that occur that unknowingly put us at a level of under the authority of the enemy that the blood of Christ has the power over, and that's where we're going to finish here in a second. But some examples, we have family sin, we have curses, we have trauma, we have unforgiveness and bitterness. And again, as I said earlier, we have possessions that we could own that potentially could be allowing access for the enemy. After the first service, I had the opportunity to pray with someone. And as we were praying, the Holy Spirit, guys, it was the coolest thing the Holy Spirit literally revealed to them of a curse that someone had pronounced on the family. And we prayed the blood of Christ over it. We prayed the power of Jesus over it. And there was a tangible release and victory in Christ afterwards. In my own life, a year and a half ago, we were experiencing, I've talked about it before, but what seemed to be a darkness and a, just an overwhelming ongoing attack. And at the time, I was having very dark, I would say very demonic dreams. And because of how often they happened, it was a normal conversation when Wendy and I got up, she would ask me, how did you sleep? How are your dreams? I remember a certain night, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning. I don't know why I looked at the clock, Looked at the clock, got up at 5.30, used the restroom. I came back overwhelmed, had just woken up from, from a dream uh, that was not of the Lord. And you learn how to fight in those moments. 
You learn how to place things under the blood of Christ. You beseech Jesus to fight on your behalf, and you give it over to the Lord, and you go in peace. You let Jesus fight for you. The next morning when I got up, Wendy was already up, and she asked me how I slept, and I told her, you know, I didn't sleep very well, and <clears throat> she said she had gone up at 5.35, went to the restroom and came back, and she said when she came back into the room, there was just a darkness in the room, and she just started praying against it. It's all we said at the moment. I went and got ready for the day, came out of the bathroom. She had come back in from being with the kids out in the family room, and she's like, the weirdest thing is happening right now. I said, what's going on? She said, well, the kids are watching a movie, and they're singing kind of the main theme song of the movie. And she said, when I woke up and came back in from the bathroom, that song was pounding in my head as I was walking back in. She's like, when I walked out with the kids this morning, I started listening to the lyrics. And in the lyrics, it talks about how this person sees you and is with you when you sleep, and he knows what you're dreaming. And in the movie, there's, again, it's a kid's movie. It's trying to be playful, but there's rituals and different demonic theme type of activities. And we go through things and we allow stuff in haphazardly, like, oh, it's just, it's, it, we don't even think about those things. And so what do we do? We gather the kids together. We pray the blood of Christ. We are fully acknowledging that the Holy Spirit led us to this moment. Guys, we have to start understanding when the Spirit's intervening. If it's of the Lord, assume it's the Spirit. If it's of the flesh, it's not the Spirit. And so the Spirit is working on our behalf. And so in obedience, we gather the family together. We don't, we're not afraid. We're not freaked out. Christ has all authority. We pray against it. We pray the blood of Christ. And we just make a commitment to each other that that movie is no longer going to be a part of our family. And we move on. And guess what? Since that time, and this is about a year and a half ago, I've had, I mean, it's, I mean that, this was a couple months ago, but there was a eight-month period of nothing of that sort or of that like in our house. You want to hear something even crazier? No, go ahead. We, yeah, praise the Lord. We're going to cry out. I called Pastor Juan. Pastor Juan was my confidant when he's in Tennessee. Now that he's here, I can't share as much stuff. I called Pastor Juan, and we were talking through it. He says, you know what? This is kind of crazy because there's a family in Tennessee going through the exact same thing with the exact same movie with the exact same song right now. About four months later, we're in a setting where that song is being played. I didn't ask the kids to get up and leave. I just stood up and left. The kids left. Wendy tried to distract herself by talking to someone else and stayed in the, in the environment. That night, my wife had another demonic dream. And I say all that, friends, the enemy is among us. And we cannot give and put ourselves in a place where we fall into agreement with him. And so my point today is my learning objective. Y'all know I can't do too many points when I preach. I get confused. I've got one point, and it's our learning objective. We have to know the things in our lives that puts us into agreement with the enemy. And it can be sin that we choose, and it can also be things that we put in our lives and make ourselves accessible to. So next steps. I have three next steps, and then we're going to transition to the communion table. Our first next step is found in verses 21 through 22 
of Revelation 2. It says this, I have given her time to repent, but she is not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I am throwing her onto a bed of violent illness and those who commit adultery with her into terrible suffering unless they repent of her deeds. Brothers and sisters, if you are in ongoing sin, repent. If you, are, if you are living a life of immorality, if you are living in a life that dabbles in the flesh and of the enemy, we are, we are close, friends, we're close to Casadega. And while I'm not afraid of Casadega, I'm not ignorant as far as what their intentions are. We dabble in things that are not of the spirit and then we walk away like, oh, we're good to go. And yet the enemy is now have a, a, a level of foothold and authority of, by which to attack. And there has to be a level of repentance. I would beseech you that to renounce the agreement, renounce the level of agreement that you've partaken in. God, forgive me, not just for the sin, but coming into agreement with the heart behind it. I don't want this for myself. I don't want this desire. I don't want this action. And you can renounce it in the name of Jesus and ask God to change your heart about it. Verses 24 through 25 is our next step. Hold tightly to the truth. Jesus goes on to say, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, all who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned the so-called deep secrets of Satan. Could you imagine being one of those that's labeled towards? Why would light have anything to do with darkness? Can I tell you one of the biggest issues as far as resistance of the Lord working is things hidden in the dark. I'm telling y'all, if you bring things to the light, if you confess sin to God, but let me tell you, confess sin to others. Bringing it to the light, that's where the spirit works. Keeping things suppressed in the darkness, my friends, is where the enemy works. We need to be a church of repentance and confession. And if our pride gets in the way with that, confess and renounce your pride. I renounce the fact that I've put myself in agreement and accepted the fact that pride means more to me than you do. And then move on to the sin. We have to cut off the legs. And it's a heart issue. I didn't ever finish reading those verses. To you I say, I do not put any other burden, additional burden on you. Verse 25, however, Hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to the truth. They were told the truth. Hold on to the truth. Repent and turn away from your sin. Renounce the agreement of the sin. Hold on tightly to the truth. And then finally, turn your Bibles to Luke 11. We're gonna let Jesus be the champion of this thing. We're gonna let Jesus be the champion. Luke 11, verses 21 through 22. We're in the part of scripture where Jesus had just cast out a demon. The religious leaders were saying, well, it makes sense, this dude is possessed. Jesus has a stronger demon, and that's why he has the power to cast out that demon. And Jesus is like, that doesn't even make sense. A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. And he says this in verse 21. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. 
until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Friends, sin, acceptance, agreement, that is the strong man in your life. There's a strong man in your life by accepting, living in, and going along with sin. But there's an even stronger man. There's an even stronger man available, and his name is Jesus. And we have too many people fighting the strong man in their life, and they don't have peace, they don't have freedom, they feel bound to their sin, and it's because they haven't accepted and received the stronger man in Jesus into the fight and let Jesus exercise his authority over what they're dealing with. And we wonder, why is this, why is this journey so hard? It's not hard for Jesus. Allow Jesus to fight for you. We'll close with this story and then we'll transition into communion. Freddie Calderon, he's one of our elders. He normally sits here. I'm not pointing to Miss Rosemay. I'm glad you're here though too. But he, he sits right there in the first service. And Freddie Calderon's one of our elders. I'm very blessed at our church. Each pastor has a couple elders that are devoted to praying for a certain pastor. And not that I... I believe there's better elders than others, but I have Steve Clouser, love you, brother, and I have Freddie Calderon, who pray for me. And about a year ago, I was speaking into some of the things I was going through to Freddie and to Steve, and Freddie told me a story of something that he endured in his own life. He said when he was a younger man, when he was living in Puerto Rico, that he was going through a time of despair where he felt no freedom. He was trying to follow Christ but there was depression, there was despair, there was turmoil, there was sorrow, and it went not just for a week, not just for a month, a month, but years. He had lost 60 pounds. His body was wasting away. And he kept crying out to the Lord, like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And he said the night that he got freedom, he was dreaming and he had a dream where he was in this area and he was fighting some demonic presence and the demonic presence kept slamming him down and slamming him down and slamming him down. And he said he raised his head up and in the crowd he saw Jesus. And he said, Jesus, what are you doing? Why don't you help me? Why are you letting this happen to me? And he said, Jesus calmly and quietly said, because you won't let me fight for you. And Freddie said this. He said he got up and he walked to Jesus. And he said the demon in the background was just screaming at him. Get back here, coward, chicken, fight me. And he said he got to Jesus. He turned around. And he just pointed to Jesus and he said, he's gonna fight for me now. And Jesus healed and set him free in that moment. We have a savior in Jesus Christ who is the ultimate strong man in your life. And I would beseech you to know what things in your life that have given the enemy a level of authority. Repent.
repent, renounce, do not come into agreement with it any longer. Hold tightly to the truth and let Jesus be your strong man.